Welcome everyone to the 25th episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Kozell here with uh, Nick Tartaglia. What's, What's up, going man? on, Nick? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's odd. Oh, last two days have been nice again. So, you know, everybody's outside. Everybody wants to... Uh... It's been nice. So, you know, I feel like I've been spending a little more time outside now with the dogs, getting some fresh air. It's true. I eh? like even yeah. today, even yesterday, like I was outside too. And it just, I, I wore like sweatpants and a sweater and I was just like, damn, I probably should have worn shorts today. Yeah. Fall is good. A fall is a deceptive season sometimes in this, <laughs> in this part of the world. It matches the entire economy and everything else going on. <laughs> <laughs> there's Man, always, got... there's always ironic patterns we can, we can see in everything going on. It's funny, like history doesn't always repeat itself, but history has a tendency to rhyme. Yeah, exactly. The patterns. There's underlying patterns in throughout history that even if the the, the time in which you're living is entire is entirely different than two centuries ago, there are still patterns that will be emulated in terms of social dynamics, in terms of what you require as leaderships, in terms of how people behave. All those things ripple out and either create positive engagements and dynamics or negative dynamics it's all part of the plan it's all part of the process um again uncertain times a lot has happened in the last week um there's a lot of stuff both canada u.s related um all all linked as well um i mean the wildfires in california have destroyed so many crops yeah, and it's um, going to cost a lot of money. I mean, it, removing pen, then there's people, there's a lot of money to go. <clears throat> there's going to be a lot of money that's going to be spent on that. And that worries all because it's already at the same time as where the government in America is spending, federal government spending a lot of money already because of the COVID situation. Yeah. And then, you know, now they want, now Dems are fighting for another huge trillion, 2.2 trillion stimulus package with the wildfire with the previous stimulus package then you have new york where cases are going back up kind of like here but you know it's it's funny they're just focusing on the number of cases they're not focusing on deaths anymore nobody talks about deaths anymore well i i would play devil's advocate here i think doubt deaths is sort of a lagging indicator so that's mm -hmm. probably why fair but enough I, I, fair, I, enough, I, fair I, enough i i agree with you on the fact that um i think there's a bit more fear that's being created so people can sort of abide by you know the laws here um, this week we saw, first of all, in the stock market, um, Nicola got absolutely clobbered. <laughs> hilarious. That was a hilarious storyline. I could, I have been waiting this whole time for these type of stocks to finally end up exactly where we wanted it to end up to finally show to people, this is how the market moves. This is typical behavior of things that inflate with no fundamental support, it's bound to come back down. Correct. And the short report turned out to be very, very accurate. Um, they, the CEO actually had to resign. Yep. So that was that was a big news story there. And tech tech continued to sell off a little bit. Um, September, all the gains in August are gone. September yep. is officially the worst month since March. Um, but you know what? I think we were due for that. So stocks are behaving as they should, I think. Yeah. Right. Now. It's, it's, it, there's a little bit of consolidation. I feel like people are trying to refigure out what to do with themselves in context of the political, uh, elections coming up soon in terms of the second wave occurring here, whether, whether that's going to occur or not. And then because of the consolidation and then prices, some of the prices start to collapse people again, or I feel like people, there's some traders that are again on the sidelines. 
institutions to start to take profits, which you kind of see the overall direction of the market is kind of led by institutional flow. So I really do believe that let's say there's another big output of cases. And as we're going to get closer to the political decision, I feel like the market's going to kind of like start becoming a little more volatile again. You know, it's funny. I was looking at the VIX too, and like there's a potential breakout back up to 40, which implies a 4% move in the stock market on the downside. But well, again, I'm speculating here. Um, I wouldn't count it out though. Um, I think for today's episode, we're just going to, you know, build on our last, uh, our, one of our earlier episodes where we talked about life after COVID. Yeah. Um, because this, we're, we're, the, the future is, the future is now. And I was actually, I spoke to somebody yesterday and we were talking about the future and he goes like, we're not in the future, we're in the present, right? The Zoom economy, the work from anywhere world, right? This is, this is, this is permanent. I think we can all agree on that. People are officially going to be working remotely from anywhere. I mean, you could be on the beach in the Bahamas, making phone calls, sending emails, doing business anywhere. You have no excuse. Um, at this point in time. So it, it really gives people an opportunity to figure out what they truly want to do uh, and not try to like chase something that maybe they necessarily I'm don't very, want, right? I'm very interested to see the dynamics of that and how it builds out in terms of which industries can afford to have people always at home in terms of does it negatively impact the dynamics of the culture of the business? Because some biz like some businesses, they want employees to be together. For example, tech companies where there's a lot of engineers. If you have a dynamic environment where they're always around each other, they're very competitive and they're pushing each other. The moment you take engineers and you put them all at home and they're just all at home alone. Well, now it's like, well, there's no one to challenge you. There's no one there to push you. You know, you 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 kind of you kind of foregoed external pressure, which is really good in some in companies to have that healthy competition because it pushes your employees to compete and come up with ideas and think and challenge each other. So I'm interested to see the dynamic of that and which, you know, which industry plays out according to these things. Oh, I'd rather have employees at work because it improves the overall culture and dynamic, or it doesn't matter. They can be at home or, you know, I'm, it's, I'm curious to see what, because then it's like, then how, then from the perspective of the individual it's well, what kind of life balance and work do I want? Do I want to be able to go on vacation and travel while I work? Or do I want a career that's competitive and ambitious where I can scale and climb up the corporate ladder? Well, then, you know, you want to show your face. You want to be around people. You want people to know you. If you stay at home all the time, guess what? You're probably going to plateau very fast because there's, there's, you're not engaging with anybody. Yeah. And I would also say that um, moving forward, I don't think they're really, you, 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 whatever you want to do, I think now, I think you can go out and get it. Um, especially with the ability that all you really need is a, as a laptop, Wi-Fi, and a, an idea and, and a plan, obviously. So, um, this is very, this is permanent. I mean, this is, we're officially in the present, um, COVID unfortunately is not going away anytime soon. Um, but there's been a lot of sort of, we'll talk about politics from an economic side real quickly, because I think that's also highlighting sort of the lack of understanding and potential investment opportunities ahead, but you have governments printing so much money. Uh, Canada, for example, had their throne speech, liberals, minority yeah. government. 
Um, they had talked about having a plan to invest in Canadians. Yeah, that's where I got triggered. <laughs> politics, <laughs> po- politics aside, um, let's focus on the economic implications of that mm-hmm. because exactly what's going to happen now is there is another round of, I believe it's CERB, which is in our country, Canada Emergency Response Benefit. Yeah. Um, I believe they're extending that into next summer. And I think that shocked the market. We saw a bit of a sell-off uh, when that was announced. Even in the U.S., um, there was just a lot of rotation in the market. But the fact that we have economic policies right now that are just uh, unfortunately encouraging people to stay home and collect, and work, yeah. you know, paychecks. Um, what I happens? Think, I, just I think long term. Yeah. I just think long term. You've got a situation where economic output puts us in a very difficult position to recover. And I think we're looking at about a five to six year period of recovery. Because it hasn't increased. The output, if you dilute the economy, you print a lot of money, you tell people to stop working, you cause bankruptcies, people can't employ, then the issue becomes all that money you printed, all that money you gave, on the other side of that equation, will there be an economic output? If there is no output to offset that dilution and that giving of money, Guess what? Now you're, there's an issue. And that's the main issue. That's why I got triggered. When Trudeau kept saying, we are trying to invest in Canadians. We want to invest in Canadians. We need to invest in Canadians. Giving money is not an investment. Giving money is simply that. I am giving you money to do nothing. Where it becomes an investment is how the individual takes that money and how they then put it to work. A re- an investment requires a return. If the individual doesn't know what to do with that money or just uses it to spend on regular stuff, guess what? It's not, it's not improving the overall economy. The, improving the overall economy is making sure people have money. It's ensuring that businesses are thriving and businesses are expanding. If there's no business to expand, and there's no new businesses and there's no businesses to employ people, the economy is screwed. It doesn't matter what the government wants to do with the people and give them money all they want. If there's no business on the other side of the equation and growing and expanding, well, guess what? the government can't give money forever because then eventually it's just a complete collapse. Yeah. And um, this is going to pose a, another risk in the market of inflation uh, being very, very high at some point. There is a positive from this though. I will say um, savings. Yeah, people have more money. People have more. I think people's personal finances, uh, the vast, the majority that are obviously still working have some kind of operating business online. Um they, they have more savings in their accounts. I know even in the U.S., like savings is up about 13%. Mm-hmm. So the people question, have people have money to invest. Uh, exactly. Or, if they choose to do that. If they choose to do that. Now, here's the challenge. I mean, our generation, I don't think there's ever been a bigger need for financial literacy. Period. 100%. It, it, it's, I was reading a report yesterday, actually, and um, it said that it, yeah. 86% of millennials, no matter what question you throw at them, if they didn't answer all three correctly, they, that meant that they were like financially somewhat illiterate. I mean, 86%, that's a pretty big amount. And I'm Not pretty sure mention- the questions were pretty basics. Yeah. You know the it, questions were? Uh, yeah. So one of them was just like, hey, like you have $100, it returns 5%. How much is that worth in five hey, years? So that's okay, like a, yeah, yeah. a simple compounding question. Simple, basic, like literally yeah. basic economic take the point. You take the number, multiply 1.5, take that number, multiply 1.5, take that number, multiply 1.5. And you, just, you can just do a basic math with that. 
Yeah. And um, 1.05, sorry, 1.05. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could do it to the power of three, but anyway, um, <laughs> I, I, th I think it's important uh, to, to really pay attention to, to sort of that stat because a lot of people just, especially our age, they don't know how to invest. And I want to give, I want to highlight the gap again, because it's always about the gap, you know, like we know technical and in the equity markets, if there's nothing, if there's no support under an increase or a development, there tends to be a collapse or the gap closes, the gap needs to be filled. Now here's an issue, millennials. With all this building out, all these problems, the deferral of problems, the government just keeps seems to be deferring problems later, later, later. Then we have boomers, boomers who are about who are later the apex in terms of the corporate world and the economy. Eventually, they're going to retire. They're going to they're going to eventually pass away. And there's going to be a huge transition that's going to occur between boomers and millennials. Millennials are not going to become the apex of civilization where in terms of a generation where they're going to have most control over the capital world. They're going to control over the political world, uh, over the economy. And the thing is, if they, most of us don't know what we're doing, I really doubt we're going to only fundamentally improve the economy going forward because far more of us, like if I think of all the economists, all these guys, they're all in their 50, 60, 70 years old. And then I look at millennials. It's like me, how, like, I don't know if I know a single millennial that can really have an economic conversation. I mean, outside of our little circle, there's not many. And it's like, I feel like that circle in the schooling, especially doesn't really fuel that ambition to understand finance and economics. It's more from a institutional perspective, go to work for them. I was, I was talking to uh, uh, one of the head principals at a, at a private school and uh, they started making financial personal finance and financial literary courses mandatory uh, in, in grade nine. Um, I didn't have that growing I up. I didn't have it either. Yeah. You know, and like you look back on it now and it's just like, man, like the system unfortunately was designed to kind of make you feel comfortable, make you like, you know, turn get you into a, a worker. And it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. Like there's yeah. some people that just want to do that. They'll do that. They'll be happy as long as they know how to invest. I think that's the important thing. The but school, you, the school, I feel like that from childhood to teenagers to adulthood, each stage requires a certain type of educational system structured around their specific type of mental development. And I feel that as you get later on in your life, when you get into university, universities need to be more competitive with each other in terms of what they're doing. And it should be more specialized. A lot of courses they offer nowadays are so redundant. I'm sorry. So many business programs that people go for like, okay, yeah, you're paying $15,000 for a four year program in university here in uh, Montreal, if you're from here, but <laughs> it's not that much money, hundred percent. Fair enough. But at the same time, those four years of putting, going to school and not working as much for a degree that honestly does not yield a higher income or a higher cash flow doesn't teach you about investing, doesn't teach you about entrepreneur, doesn't teach you how to be somebody more than a simple little worker within a very specific field that plateaus when it comes to certain types of income. It's like you've already limited your playground. Now, again, we don't want to discourage anybody. Like, there's obviously lawyers, doctors, medicine, like that. Exactly. Specialized. You know, there's. Yeah, yeah, like certain that, types that. of fields that you cannot dispute. But then again, there's no need for a school to be purely everything. A school could be all about law. So have a smaller school that appeals purely to law students. Have a school that appeals purely this way. It's more competitive by nature because it's not distracted by other useless programs infecting, affecting its cash flow, its overall culture, its dynamics. 
you know, let schools be more competitive, more small. Like that's all I personally, that's how I see things should be. It should be clusters of you know, schooling that are more specialized and focused on specific fields. So people can be the better version of whatever they want to be. Yeah. And, um, again, we don't want to discourage anybody trying to get into university. I think it's a pretty big stepping stone, but I think the fact of the matter is, uh, the school system has failed to teach people how to invest. And we're seeing a very, I think we're seeing a really, really big generational problem, uh, right now with our age group, who knows what the youngers are going to do. Um, but you know, you know, what's an ironic thing I was thinking about is I feel like the, that if the educate, like, because obviously the educational system in Canada is heavily manipulated by the government, they have a huge impact on the educational system. And in my mind, I'm going, but if you teach students from a young age, how to be financially literate and understand the financials, understand a little bit more about the overall economics, I feel like more people would be very upset with the government. Why do you And it would backfire. That? Well, because everyone who seems to be financially literate has problems with the government. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So it's like you, if you, if you only expand that into a larger re portion of the population that understands this, you're just causing more problems for the government. I'm just saying it's a fear. I feel like there's a fear involved in that sense. I, again, you're, you're, you're definitely speculating. But yeah. hundred percent. I'm speculating. It's, it's, it's a, it's a rational thought for sure. But, um, you know, moving forward with just our generation, like, you got, you, you got to learn how to be literate, whether it comes down to personal finances, managing expenses. The other, the, the other thing that caught my attention on this report was the fact that I think it was like 43 or 50, 52% uh, of millennials have uh, an, like a very aggressive spending behavior related to credit cards. Um, and credit oh, cards yeah. are, those interest rates can kill you. Um, they people, compound, it, they defer percent Yeah, they defer. About it. defer. So, it's I can make, I'll, I'll always make money. It's the job mindset, right? Oh, I'll have a job for 30 years. So for the first, for all my, so for all my twenties, so until I'm 29, 30 years old, I'll just do whatever the fuck I want because YOLO, you know, you only live once ironically, but in rally, when you say you only live once, it implies your entire lifespan, but they contextualize it to only like eight years of their life. So they spend, spend, do whatever they want. They hit 30 and then they plateau and then they, free fall and it's i'm not able to save i'm not able to invest i have well, too many costs exactly and that's the other thing too is like you know they'll get like a really good salary no no like it's fantastic for example but they don't understand the concept of saving you know trade off start save, now save 50 percent now don't go out spending you know all this money on lavishness you know that you don't necessarily build need your right support now. build your support people and then spend more later people have a failed understanding between a need and a want I think that's the other thing. I think that's the other thing of our generation is we're so fixated on what we want, which is fine, but we're not willing to pay the price today so that we can end up paying any price that we can. That that you, you see it though in our behaviors, we're yeah. very, you see it in the market, the way people behave, the way people went buying stocks. It's people are very, very short-term minded instead of being long-term focused. So their behaviors are that of someone who's very unpredictable, who is that of greed, who follows everybody else's opinion without critical thinking. You see it in the way they consume information on social media, the way they behave on the stock market, the way they, they weigh the, they operate as a financial individual. It's funny. I always tell people, all I need to do is look at your financials, every component of your financials, and I could literally know exactly how you are as a person. What you're it's, focused on, yeah. what you're focused on, what you're not focused on. 
how you spend your money, what you spend it on, like all those things tells me a huge, tells me a story about you. If you spend 20, 30% of your money weekly on restaurants, you mean you love going out to restaurants. Are you ever alone and doing things? Chances are no. So what do you mean? It means you only like to socialize going out. You're not comfortable being at home and just relaxing all the time. You always need to be in an environment to socialize, or at least you think going out is what's more fun than anything. You, your, your lifestyle tell, says a lot about your choices and the way you spend money. It, it's a story and you can read the storyline. Yeah. And I think it's, um, it's something that needs to be brought up more often amongst groups. But you know what? At the end of the day, um, if you're not willing to commit to a decision, if you're not willing to commit to change, that's the that's on the individual, right? That's why we started this podcast was to give people a better open mind as to what the potential wealth creation opportunities are out there, while also understanding, okay, we're at an age right now where we need to be somewhat frugal. Don't get me wrong. It's okay. You know, you get like a crazy commission bonus. Sure. Go celebrate. It's a little difficult now with COVID, but um, my mindset, and I know your mindset is the same way is let's save 50% of what we make every single month or every paycheck, whatever it is, put that in an account, put it in a training account. Don't touch it because you do need a cushion. You also exactly. need, you, you're going to need, you need that. Exactly. You need it. Like the other, again, that report that I read was just, I think it was just for this episode even was just saying like uh, another 60% of people uh, don't have $2,000 to their name. That they're to me cycle. was they're just spending like, cycle. you're in a spending. And I was just like, oh my God, like this, there's a massive need for this literacy, like financial literacy to be pushed onto people because if not, they're going to be living, unfortunately, Paycheck to paycheck, right? Yeah. And that, that's fears. not a good life, man. There's the fears. I think people need to see. I think people need to understand the fear of why it matters because it's not just that, okay, with time, you're, you, you lose value of your money. So you want to invest to offset that. But the idea is that when you, when you invest, it's time you take away from having to work for somebody else where your money works for you. So it provides you with more financial freedom, but that's the long game you play. And then there's the issue is, well, you have to take into account is the future of where we look at as millennials. In 30 years from now, when most boomers are not here anymore, there's going to be a huge gap in the economy because they are a huge powerhouse in the overall economy. Where will the output of the economy be? You know, and that can have a huge impact on overall asset classes because they make up a huge portion and they are much smarter in terms of economics and business because they work hard and that's all they know how to do. So then they're always focused on output, growing, 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 where millennials were all about consuming. We're so, all about the ex experiences. Exactly. That's, the consuming really experiences. So it's like for us to become what they did and what they are is a complete transition in behavior for an entire generation. So the output part, which is what I, which is what we're talking about in terms of fearing for because of the overall economy. Well, guess what? It's our generation that's going to have to ensure a sustainable output to offset all this economic issues building. Boomers becoming retiring and their pension is not fixed for life. A pension decreases over time, especially one given by the government. And guess what? As pension decreases over time, you have cost of living that's going to go up over time as well. So their margins are going to get squeezed. And there's going to be a lot of boomers. They're going to have problems with their money financially. And that, of course, because the government made a promise, we as people have to keep that promise. It's only right and fair. But it, it puts a lot of pressure on, the gener on our generation and those to come after us. 
So being able to mitigate that risk and that danger, it's something you need to do. The only way to do that is by smartening up, becoming more financially literate, you know, hedging yourself more and more with your money, focusing more on building assets rather than spending your money. Yeah. And I think even just start, I think this is the best time to start a business. If, if you're, if you're in that situation, for sure, if you've got an opportunity to, to help people, to add value to the marketplace, if you've got an idea, attack it. You know, this is, this is the golden age to start a business. And yeah. I'm just thinking, looking back, you, you, let's say 2040, you started a business in 2020, you were that successful. You look back, you say established in 2020, you'll be like, damn, 2020, that was a fucking crazy year, man. Yeah. Like, so again, it's how you look at things too. I mean, we, Nick and I, we could, I mean, you, you and I, man, we, we could talk about this all day Jeez. long, yeah. but it's a matter of putting a plan together. Right. Yeah. So I think the and next can't. And we can't, but we can't trust the, pol the politicians to help us with this. It has to yeah. be self. You got to find that drive within you, right? Yeah. And you got to figure out, okay, where is the opportunity right now? I think you and I see it. Financial literacy is that big one. So I think moving forward, millennials, after once COVID is nice and settled, millennials need to be more frugal with their spending. Um, the good times that, you know, people are having, you know, as they say, even with the 12-year the rally that we had, all good times do come to an end all bad times come to an end as well. Yeah, I think I think with the way with the way the economy has been expanding with inflation, cost of living, I feel that people are going to have to think and work more as a collective team, especially family households. And a lot of parents, the issue is a lot of parents don't build up any investments for their children. So as children get older, they move out and they start from scratch. And then they're a cycle of expenditure where they don't have cash flow, they don't have a base. So they're spending 10, 15, 20 years trying to figure out how to build a positive net worth. And that's why I think that parents, especially when parents say, you know, everything, you, the moment you have a child, it becomes about them and their future and giving them a better tomorrow. But if you say that, and then everything you do offset uh, action wise does not demonstrate that, then you're not doing what's best for them. If you want to give them a stronger tomorrow, start building yourself financially and start building them a, before they're even close to 18 years old, start building them a base. So when they hit 18 years old, they start thinking about these things and they get 20. It's like, okay, I have a base. I can build something for myself if I need to, or I can expand on my base. You know, they're not starting from zero. Starting from zero is what's hard. And a lot of problems comes from the family side of things that parents don't help set up their children and they should. It would, it would so much change. It would change so many things. You're, you're touching on a very interesting point. I think right now as individuals, like we should start thinking about a family too, Right. Maybe not right now. Like I we're think at right that now, age. Millennials yeah. are starting to think about these things. M millennials are at that age now where, okay, you need to, you know, if you want to have a family or not, but you got to be thinking, you got to have like a, a 50 year plan here. Um, and I think that's what it really comes down to is, okay, what is available out there? You know, if there's nothing available, what kind of business can you start today with the skills that you have? This is really what it comes down to. It's doable. It's, is it going to be stressful? Is it going to take long hours? Yeah. But the good saying of no pain, no gain, like you got to be able to do that. Or you, you find a job that you really like, you get a good salary, you like it enough, you put in the time, start saving that money, start saving it, start saving it. Don't, don't go, you know, don't go blowing it. And try to train your kids to do the same thing. You know, teach from a young age, the, effort, the value of that dollar, because then this way they grow up and they don't get into that cycle of expenditure and wanting to show off for the sake of being for validation on social media, going out to restaurants all the time to show off. You're always at restaurants, puts you in a cycle of spending because you need constant validation from your social network that you're out eating.
I don't care you're out eating every day. You're, you're the one who's spending a $1,000 a month easily, no problem on just food going out because, well, you need to show it on Instagram. That's cool. Again, we don't judge, but I think that's... It's from a financial, of, from a it, financial push component. It's, I agree. It doesn't, you're not adding any value to yourself. Zero. Yeah. And then guess what? That work that you're deferring, going to have to be doing it later. And guess what? Then you have less time, which means that you're going to become greedier and greedier because I need money now. Or, uh, you know, you're going to become more chaotic in behavior. Doing it now and starting young, you can be a little more erratic and chaotic. But guess what? You have time to learn. So your mistakes don't hurt you as much starting younger. Correct. And I, I think we'll we'll link it back to basically all the uh, decisions made from the governments these last few months. Um, I, I truly believe that the economic uh, strategy that was implemented um, is putting, and this is why financial literacy is so important now, um, that stimulus where they're extending it into next summer, um, it's setting our generations back maybe two, three, four generations. That's how big of a stimulus this is. That's how big of a challenge this is going to be. And I think you as an individual and myself too, we, we got to find a way to, to break out of that. And you it's know, doable. You know, it's you know doable, what's funny? Right? It's, you know what's funny is that in front, of the, in front of the masses, the government owes us conversations over the health issues or the educational system. and all. They have those conversations in front of people. The thing they don't have conversations in front of people is the, is the economic decisions they make and, and the cash flow. Why yeah. don't you have those conversations in front of people and tell us exactly where and how you're spending the money? And if you're not sure what you're about to do, have the conversation in front of us so we understand why you're making these decisions. But the only time you do have the conversation is when you use throw words around like Trudeau did, where investing in Canadians. We're investing in Canadians or when the, or when the NDP party threatens the federal, the, the federal government saying you, if you don't, if you don't increase Serb or extend Serb, you don't get our votes. You see what I mean? They, it's, it, it, it's a, it's, it's a, it's yeah. a political game about votes. That's on high school. It's not about, is this good for the economy? No, it's give me more money now for the people that cannot work or don't want to work because you keep closing business up. Like what they did with Midday Squares, where Midday Squares has been forced, is going to have to be forced to pay almost $70,000 extra because of Trudeau's decision. Right. Okay. That's an example. Sure. It's an example of a small, the economy is made up of a ton of small and medium businesses, but the government is hurting primarily small and medium businesses, which employs a lot of people. If they start struggling, they have extra costs, they go bankrupt. There's a lot of people that can't work. So them giving the people money to then for them not have a job to go to, what was the point of that? It's a lot. It's a flawed logic. You're hurting yeah. the places that sustains the economy and you're giving money to places that just doesn't want to that yields no output and you don't have these conversations in front of us on TV. So it's like, we have to deduce these things all on our own. And that's right. why I got triggered when Trudeau said we're investing in Canadians. We're investing in Canadians. It's a, it's, it's bogus. It's a lie. It's manipulative. It's, it's a fallacy. <laughs> that's actually a good way of putting it. It is, it is a fallacy because, um, and this is where people need to really pull that information out and start realizing, okay, they're actually, and it's unfortunate, like they're actually not looking for the best interest for me. Don't get me wrong. There are services benefits that do come. I mean, Canada, I, I think we're lucky. We have healthcare that is available to everybody. That's, that's great. Um, but it I also, cost, a huge comes, cost. that is true. That is true. I mean, we're paying taxes on that as well, but. And it's so one of our most, in terms of ratios, it is one of the most consuming components of our economy is the healthcare system, right? Especially as boomers keep getting older and older, yeah. that ratio that the consumption 
And the thing is, it's like an incentive. It, the issue becomes this. If you tell people, no matter what you do with yourself, the medical system will take care of you. There's people out there that don't have the incentive to keep track of their health and their habits because they know that no matter what I do, I, the government will take care of me and do whatever I, they need to do. So as an economic agent, they overburden the system. And those who do maintain themselves and do take care of themselves, well, they're, they're fueling a system that's there to only take care of people that don't want to take care of themselves. And then we come, we're the, we, we, we have to allocate money that doesn't come back to us. It goes back to other people. The ones that are working the hardest are always ending up paying more in for the people. one way or another, whether it's yeah. health and education, you know, it's always one way or another, someone's paying for other people to not do what they need to do. Listen, uh, I know that we've said a lot of stuff that sounds very dark and gloom, but I want to leave here with a little bit of optimism. Um, anything is possible, right? This comes down to, okay, what are your, what are your future goals? How badly do you want it? What are you willing to sacrifice to? Um, that's sort of the entrepreneurship mindset. It's always, it always has been, but I think with a new gen mindset, um, you got to start thinking about these things. Um, you know, we could, you could easily start an online business right now. It just side takes, just it, side it, hustle. it just takes a bit of guts. It just takes a bit of courage because that's really all you need. And the other thing that I would say is you actually don't need money to start a business now. That's the crazy part. I mean, back then it was like, yo, I got to get like a factory. You know, if you're in business, I got to do like a coal mine. Yep. Those days are so gone. Perfect example. I you don't can, need a publisher. I yeah. used Amazon, entirely self-published through Amazon. It does everything for me after. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the beauty about where we're at. Uh, I'm pretty, I'm very optimistic, man. I know you are too, but we just got to stay aware of what's going on. Um, and I'm optimistic as I observe our generation is development and hopefully our development is one that's positive and the one that expands in a good momentum. And that will be my validation to continue to be optimistic. And that that's the trend that I'm looking for because who we are as individuals and as a generation will have a huge impact on the development and the output of our civilization for the next century. Because we're going to have a huge impact for the next 30 years. We're going to have a bigger and bigger and more and more important role in the economy and the political decisions of our system. So the next century is going to have a huge importance based on what we're about to do. We're, we're in an exciting time. And um, I think you and I are very lucky to be doing what we're doing. Um, the side hustle too. I mean, I, I'm, I'm helping people understand the stock market. If you guys are listening, you want to learn more. I'm offering like pretty much two, three, like two options, two types of courses. Uh, so reach out to me. Nick's offering, you know, I'm, uh, yeah, but me, me, it's more consulting. It's wealth advisory, but this is more focused on long-term clients who don't like traditional financial advisors who really want to focus on being a little more active with their wealth, but being attentive to the financial markets is not their thing. And they still have their own thing going on and they want to do their stuff and to have someone there as in the background who's who gives 24 seven consulting, who's there to always advise in any financial decision. It's, it's that support. I'm there to provide support and criticism and all financial decisions to make sure that every decision is optimized and every risk is mitigated and minimized. So this way it compounds over time. And that's why I go long for me. It's a long-term plan. And that's how I does. It's more of a family style practice. Yeah. So, I mean, I think our goal is the same. We've got the same idea. We want to help as many people become proactive 
with their investments, yeah. with their money, be more self-aware of that. So we'll leave it at that. Um, this is a great talk, man. I mean, I love talking to you about these things because <laughs> we see we see eye to eye on a lot of ideas. Um, again, guys, do the research. There's a lot of information out there. Filter it out, but also understand sort of the world that we're in. And don't be afraid to make a big change. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to make a big change in your life. If you're if your heart is telling you to go somewhere, listen to it. If uh, if I can leave you guys with a little something today, it's uh, especially for all the new traders or new people that want to look into investing or they want you want a perfect example of a dangerous scenario in the short term. Go look at Nikola and go look <laughs> at the six month uh, time frame of that stock. Just observe, look at it, and try to contextualize the. 10 to 90 dollars and then back down to 18 dollars that took five months about maybe less (laughs) yeah so go go to contextualize that and understand that's the danger of following typical people you saw that with bitcoin how it went out to twenty thousand, and it came all the way back down to almost three and a half you saw that with marijuana for example tilray went all the way up to like 120 and now it's back down to like 18 dollars or something like that yeah like there's plenty of companies do this and these tend to be driven by fomo so just go look at that and then one other thing to kind of connect economics and politics, Peter Schiff, there's a thing going on, on Instagram and it was, and I really liked his words. And he, he said, good politics is bad economics. That's, and, a, that's how, and that's how I'm leaving it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a powerful statement. Anyway, guys, follow us on Instagram. We've got a website, newgenmindset.com. We've got a newsletter that's ready to roll out. So sign up for that and we will see you next time. Ciao, guys.